Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Good morning and welcome to our service, this online worship service. In this Easter season, as we declare the resurrection, Jesus' victory over sin and death, especially in a difficult time as we are facing now, worship is the place. 
where we best articulate our trust and our faith that God is in the midst of this crisis and is working and is healing and is saving. Let us continue with this call to a penitent heart before God in our collect for purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Will you join now as we sing our opening hymn? Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, open our lips and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. 
Our psalm appointed for today is Psalm 116. We will read this responsively by half verse, beginning at verse 11. What shall I give unto the Lord for all the benefits that he has done unto me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of all his people. Dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant and the child of your handmaid. You have broken my bonds asunder. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the sight of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, even in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our first lesson comes from Exodus chapter 14, beginning at the 10th verse. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching on them, and they cried out to the Lord, and they were greatly terrified. And they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we told you when we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to them, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, that he will work for you this day. For these Egyptians that you see this day, you will never see again. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it to the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after you into the sea. And I will be glorified over Pharaoh and his host and his chariots and his horsemen. And all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horses. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let us sing together our gradual. Christ on the road to 
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired the writing of Exodus chapter 14. And we believe these words not only had power in the day that they were written, but these words have power this day because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we find courage during a crisis? How do we find courage during a crisis? Well, our text today would tell us that we find courage during a crisis as we learn to see rightly. Sheltering at home this past week, we had a moment where we are awoken to a smoke detector beeping. And the worry of being stuck at home when this is going on, and so we went and changed the battery in the smoke detector, and it kept beeping. We put another battery in, and it kept beeping. We put in a brand new battery, and it kept beeping. I removed the smoke detector from the wiring in the ceiling, its power source, and the ceiling continued to beep. I called an electrician. They couldn't come that day. The ceiling is beeping. And the electrician said, there's no way the ceiling can be beeping. And as I was going downstairs, shutting off the main power to the whole house, and yet still hearing the ceiling beeping, as I'm going to gather my prayer book, ready to perform an exorcism on the house, I looked and I noticed another box on the wall next to where the smoke detector had been. And I leaned close and the beeping was coming from that box. It was a carbon monoxide detector that was low on batteries. I just didn't see it. All that agony because I couldn't see what was right in front of my eyes. See, Exodus 14 is a story about Israel not seeing what was right in front of their eyes. Verse 10 of our text here, if you'll turn with me to Exodus 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They're at the Red Sea. And so here's what they see. They see the army, and they see the Red Sea, but they fail to see the God who brought them there. As Moses will tell them in verse 13, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. You see, in every crisis, God is teaching us how to see. How to see power, his power, being brought to bear in that situation. How to see participation, our participation, our role in this crisis and in this moment. And in every crisis, God is teaching us to see his purpose. That God is glorified and will be glorified ultimately in and through every moment, even this crisis. You see, we begin by seeing in this Exodus 14 text that in every crisis, God is teaching us to see power, his power. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, Moses says. And you have only to be silent. It's the promise that God will fight for us, that he is always going to be the warrior king. 
Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord God of hosts, which means the God who leads his army into battle on our behalf. God is consistently throughout scripture seen as the warrior God, the warrior king who will protect and fight for his people. And even in the New Testament, when we come to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in John 14, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, which means advocate or helper, but more specifically within the Greco-Roman world meant your battle partner, the one who came along beside you and literally had your back in the midst of a battle, the paracletes. God is the warrior who fights for his people. It's like in the movie The Lion King when little Simba, the lion cub, is being attacked by the hyenas and he's trying to growl. He's, he's trying to find enough strength in his little cub self to growl enough to roar away these hyenas. And the hyenas are laughing at this little cub and his squeaks. But then all of a sudden, this mighty roar erupts, it seems, out of the cub. And the hyenas scramble. But we find it is because Mufasa Simba's father, the king, the great lion, is standing, roaring behind his son. The king who fights for us. This is the power that is being brought to bear and that we're to learn to see in every crisis. But you see, Moses' point here is to contrast the power the source of power in verse 14, when he speaks about God's role versus our role. He says, God's role is to fight for us. Your role is to stay silent. And the point is the contrast. And, and it's humbling. In a world that is prizing itself on self-sufficiency and being a self-made man or woman, we are humbled in the face of a crisis to realize that the true power that can be brought to bear to heal and to save in a situation is not our own power, but the power of God. Our life as disciples is constantly about learning to believe John 15, 5, the words of Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. To believe the words of Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Sometimes the truth is it takes a crisis to teach us to rely on God's power. See, if you look a verse earlier, the description of this moment in verse 9, just before we began our text in verse 10, here's what Israel sees. They see the Egyptians pursuing them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them at the Red Sea. The whole point of this situation is to say this is an impossible moment that Israel cannot solve with their own power. And therefore, because they are realizing in this moment how impossible it is, perhaps they can learn in this moment to see instead the power of God who will fight for them. In my own personal life, I know that these stuck between an army and the sea moments of impossibility are the moments when I greatest learn. I learn the greatest way how to trust in God's power. As C.S. Lewis writes, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We're brought again and again to that moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul struggling with this thorn in his flesh. 
asking the Lord to relieve him from it, says this in verse 8. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, the thorn, should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In every crisis, God is teaching us to see power, his power. But... In every crisis, God is also teaching us to see participation, our participation with him in this moment. See, in verse 15, it seems God takes this in a whole different direction than verse 14 when he says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. God won't leave it at verse 14 lest we misinterpret our role in response to his willingness to fight for us as a role for us of passivity. See, our faith that God powerfully fights for us should never render us as passive. People will often struggle with this idea. Well, if you're saying that God is fighting for us and that he is in control and that he is sovereign, then what does that mean for our involvement in this world? And the problem, friends, is when you try to answer that question of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in a moment like this, if you go to any of the far extremes, you end up in heresy. If you end up with either extremes, you end up in heresy. Let me show you what I mean. This season of sheltering at home, one of the silver linings has been the fact that our eldest daughter, Annabelle, is unable to go and start her new mission program, her YWAM discipleship training program uh, in London, England. Uh, She was supposed to start at the end of March, but now it's looking like she's not going to get there until July just because of the shutdown. And so we have time as a family. And in the lockdown, we decided to start drawing up a list of great films, movies that we realized Annabelle had not yet seen. She's an adult now. And before she gets sent out in the world, I said, I've got to make sure that you've seen these key films. And so two key films, I would argue, that show the extremes, the unhealthy extremes of these views on God's sovereignty in the world or and or on human responsibility is Back to the Future and The Godfather, right? In The Godfather, it's the story of Michael Corleone who spends his entire young life fighting against his family's mobster destiny, but finally ends up a mobster, ends up as his own godfather. As his father Vito at one point says to him, I never wanted this for you. But in the other extreme, then this inability to escape our destiny is back to the future with a great line from Dr. Emmett Brown that says, the future is what you make it. So make it a good one. See, the problem is with both of these views, this Godfather sort of destiny is set or back to the future, the future is completely open and up to you. If you actually logically believed fully either of these extreme views, you wouldn't get up in the morning. Because if you believed that everything was truly predestined and set by God and you had a completely passive role, why bother getting up in the morning? God's going to get his work done in the world. But if you believed, on the other hand, that your life and the future of this world completely relies on you and your good choices, you would be paralyzed at the thought of how many errors you could make in a single day and wouldn't get up in the morning. See, the truth of the matter is that our participation within the sovereignty of God is a mystery, a mystery that we will constantly have to struggle with. God, we're told in the Bible, is totally sovereign over his creation. But we're also told in the Bible that we are responsible for our actions in this world. 
As Oliver O'Donovan writes, no act of ours can be a condition for the coming of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, on the contrary, is the condition of our acting. God fights for us. And we are to respond, not with passivity, but with active participation in the midst of a crisis. Tell the Israelites to go forward. I will fight for them, but tell them to go forward, to take that step of faith, to be active in their discipleship in the midst of this crisis, active in service and obedience. I love that moment in Acts chapter one. I've never preached on the text, this particular text before, just because I've always struggled with what exactly the angels mean. But perhaps later in this Easter season, I might come back to it. Because this text in Acts chapter one, that moment after the ascension, when Jesus has been raised into heaven, there's this moment in verse 10 where it says, while they were gazing into heaven, the disciples gazing into heaven, watching the ascension. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then They return to Jerusalem. It's it's that moment at the ascension of the angels coming and saying, I know you've beholden the glory of God. You've seen the ascension of the Son of God. But don't be paralyzed. And don't be passive. Don't just stand here with your mouths hanging open. You know the mission that he's given to you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So don't stand here looking to heaven. Move forward. Go forward in an active participation with God in this moment. Whether you're on the front line at a hospital, or whether you're on the front line in a family home during this crisis, the calling of God is to participate in what he's doing with his power in this moment. That we are called to, in the words of Micah 6, 8, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That in the words of Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That is the call to participate in this season of crisis. But you see, in every crisis, God is not teaching us just to see power, his power. And not just teaching us to see participation, our role of participation. But in every crisis, this Exodus story tells us, God is teaching us to see purpose. His purpose is being worked out in this crisis. Even in this crisis. Surely, in this crisis. Verse 18. God says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Even in this crisis, even in this horrifying loss of life that this story in Exodus 14 will go on to tell us about, Even in this moment of horrifying loss of life and despair that our world is facing, God is saying, ultimately, I am still in the business, even in this time of getting glory. God's purposes are unwavering. He will be glorified. I I love that verse 18 says that this is how God gets the glory or the reason and or the reason that God gets the glory the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. That the Egyptians, Israel's sworn enemy, the oppressors would come to know Yahweh as God, the true God, and would come into a saving personal relationship with him. And do you know what's amazing about this verse 18? 
This, this promise that in the midst of this horrible Exodus 14 crisis, that God would be glorified, that Egypt would come to know him as the Lord God, is to this day now we can see the fulfillment of this verse. Because when you go into Egypt today and you meet Coptic Christians who have stood firm in the faith under great persecution under Islam for centuries, you see a church in Egypt that knows the Lord and is faithful to him even in the midst of their own crises. See, God is in the business of getting glory for himself, that the world would know that he is the true God. But we need to recognize this reality, that God's purposes, and be so careful with this, that God's purposes being realized in a crisis, that he gets the glory, doesn't guarantee that we are unharmed. That's ultimately not the promise here. The promise is that he gets the glory and more of the world would know that he is God. As I often pray quietly to myself as I'm walking up to the pulpit before I pray with the congregation, I say, oh Lord, would you through this preaching moment increase the fame of the name of Jesus? That no matter what happens in this next moment, would Jesus be more famous in this world? That's ultimately what God's aim is as he gets glory. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be unharmed. Romans 8.28, which is so often cited in these difficult times, as you know, God working his purposes in the midst of this. Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. But those words are so often misunderstood because those words are so often not read in the context of Romans 8.29. See, Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God who are called according to his purposes. Verse 29, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first among many brothers and sisters. See, the good that God will bring about through all things is not some picture of health and wealth and well-adjusted kids. But the good, which is promised in Romans 8, 28, is, as verse 29 would say, that we will be conformed to the image of his son. The good that comes out of all things is that we are transformed more and more to be like Jesus. And if we're transformed more and more and more to be like Jesus, it means ultimately in the words of Matthew 16, verse 24, that whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves daily, take up their cross and follow me. It's a cruciform life. This is why I'm a terrible companion at Hobby Lobby. You don't want to go to Hobby Lobby with me. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Christian art and putting up scripture on the walls of our homes and our businesses can be a wonderful thing. But so often the problem is we see when we see this often kitschy Christian art put together is that these sort of greeting card sentiments are put on display without any theological or pastoral backing. For example, I'd walk through Hobby Lobby and I'd see a sign that would say, if God leads you to it, he will lead you through it. And I want to say, yeah, and through it might mean your nails going into your cross. That's the promise. You may die and God will receive you on the other side of death and that's how he gets you through it. No one wants to hear about that in aisle six at Hobby Lobby. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. And I want to get a spray paint can and say, and protection may look like a horrible, agonizing death and yet God glorified through it. Am I on my soapbox a bit too much this morning? I think so. See, I'd much prefer if I owned a Christian shop, I'd make t-shirts shirts that would have the words of the great Chinese-American philosopher Bruce Lee that says, do not pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. 
Or maybe just John 16, Jesus' own words, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. In every crisis, the point is that God is glorified. And primarily the way he's glorified is as he uses this moment, this crisis, to change you and me more into the image of his son. How do we find courage during a crisis? We find courage in a crisis by learning to see rightly. In every crisis, God is teaching us to see, to see power, his power being brought to bear in this moment. He will fight for us to see participation, our participation, our call of obedient service, action in the midst of this. And purpose, his purpose, that he would be glorified, most especially by using this crisis to change your life and my life to look more like Jesus. I close with this, that three months after my conversion, I hit a personal crisis due to a throat injury that came from a surgery. I was told I could not sing for several months. And I was not assured that my voice would ever return. My career could be over, I was being faced with. I was injured. I was worried. I was miserable. I had to quit a show, a production of Guys and Dolls. And because I had nothing to do, injured, worried, and miserable, I agreed as a new believer to go off on the youth retreat the camp that summer. And while I was there, my life was changed. Because during a prayer time, the pastor and several of the other students said that during that prayer time, they felt the Lord leading them to make me the new leader of the youth group. Which was crazy because I was a new believer I was a new convert. I had no training. But without a show to do, without a voice to sing with, for the first time in my life, I had time on my hands. And so I said, yes, yes, I would lead the youth group. Within a few months, my voice did fully recover. But I was already hooked. See, I was injured and worried, and miserable. And God used that personal crisis to begin my journey to lead me to this pulpit today. God is in the midst of this crisis. And he's teaching us how to see to see his power, our participation, and his purposes. His purposes being worked out in you and me, making us more and more to be conformed to the image of his son for the sake of the world. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.
Please join me as we reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show your mercy upon us and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing for joy. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. As we come now to our intercessions, after each petition, there'll be a moment of silence for you to fill that time with your own prayers along that subject. And then the words, Lord, in your mercy, to which you're invited to respond, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Good Friday and Easter, that we have made, been made acceptable in your sight to approach your throne of grace. And we know that you hear us and you will do what is best for us. And so we begin our prayers praying for your church throughout the world. Asking, Father, that you would teach us what it means to be faithful, to be bold, to be loving in the midst of such a crisis. Give us wisdom to be the church for the sake of the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we pray for the world, the world which you love, the world into which you sent your Son, not to condemn, but to save. And Father, we ask that you would bring healing to this world, that you would end natural disaster and war and conflict, and Lord, disease and injustice. We pray that this virus would be tread down under Jesus' feet and it would come to an end. Teach us what it means as the church to stand with a broken and lost world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we pray for those who you've set in authority, both over the church and in this world. We pray for our archbishop and our bishops, our church leaders. We pray for our president and the leaders of the nations. 
We pray for our governor and our state legislature. We pray for our mayor and our local civic authority, for our first responders, for our medical workers, for our researchers and those who are seeking for a cure and for a vaccine. Father, we pray that for all who lead, you will guide us to lead with justice and truth and integrity and patience and much, much love and wisdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, now we pray for those who are sick and suffering, those who are in need this hour, those who are dying, those who are bereaved, and we raise their names before you now, asking for their safety, for their healing, and for their salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, Father, we give you thanks for the faithful departed who now stand before you in glory. And we thank you for the witness they were to us and are. And we thank you for the hope of Easter that we can by faith be reunited with them on the day of resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, you gave your only son to be for us both a sacrifice for sin and an example of godly living. Give us grace, thankfully, to receive his inestimable benefits and daily to follow the blessed steps of his most holy life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. As we come now to the end of this online service on this third Sunday of Easter, before you receive this benediction, hear this word of encouragement and reminder that in this season, we have an opportunity to participate in the work of God. We can be sharing these online services and online opportunities from the Christchurch Plano website with our friends to be meeting the spiritual needs of those around us. We can be considering how to contribute to our local food banks. And even when those food banks reopen for volunteers, asking how we might step in to volunteer and serve. And we are called in faithfulness to continue to give financially to the work and ministry of Christchurch Plano. Because as we continue this ministry, and also as benevolent needs continue to arise within our community, your gifts have an opportunity to bless those who come to us in need in the months and even years ahead of us. Hear this word of benediction and blessing as a confirmation and a declaration that God is with us in the midst of these challenging times. Easter is that promise. The peace of God which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son Jesus Christ our Lord and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn.
Alleluia, alleluia. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.